You are listening to the Burning the Red Shirt podcast. This episode was pre-recorded due to scheduling conflicts. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you choose to listen on. Once again, thank you for listening to Burning the Red Shirt. Red Shun wanted to go deep. And he's got him! 81-yard reception! Here's a big hole! Well, welcome everybody to Burning the Red Shirts, episode 017, and uh, just two of us today. We're doing a little bit differently, just based on time commitments and something big ha- uh, happening on Saturday, so just me and Andrew today, but I uh, got some interesting things to kick us off with, but I guess, Andrew, we have a surprise topic I have no idea about that you wanted you, you to... Did the, but you, so we're not actually live now, right? You did this in a way where it's like... Not we're not live right? now. So right. hopefully, you know, something is going to happen for sure. Lou Nichols is transferring. He's going to enter the portal and transfer to NC State by the time this is aired on probably Sunday. Why do you like that as, as his move, as his next move? Because it's just like, it's up a tier. They don't have a great running back kind of deal. Feels pretty basic, but they, you know, they Jordan Houston's not going to be like a main guy. They're they're a good team. ACC competition would be good for him. I can't imagine he. I mean, like you know, we got guys going from running back at Arizona State to linebacker at Ohio State. So like, the, the I can see plot, someone the being smart. Although, I mean, your theory is he's he's undergrad, and we haven't really like we have. I don't think we've actually seen anyone really trust or try not trust that. Test. Test. My brain's already fried from too many meetings today. Really test the waters of the idea of like that May 1st barrier or whatever it was, right? Like we, we see we see undergrads entering the transfer portal, I think, but they're not, it, I don't think they're doing so necessarily with the idea of trying to play this year. And it's very hit or miss like here and there. And then we see grad transfers still entering the portal. And those people, those guys that you'd expect will try and play immediately. Uh, but lose undergrad, right? I, I think he was like a true – wasn't he a true sophomore this past year? I think he's a third year. Yeah, he's a third year. He will be – it will be his third year when the when the academic calendar rolls around in September. He, you think it's his fourth, he, really? He played in 2019, 2020, and obviously 2021. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought – Yeah. I was surprised as well when I when I saw that a while back. But, yeah, he's he, – You know, another, you know what else is a, a weird one with that? Because – so Mike started this myth that last year was Malachi Corley's true freshman year. And I think that gave a lot of credence to like why there was this expected explosion or there is this expected explosion from him in 2022. The idea that he did that as a true freshman. He wasn't a true freshman. He was on campus in 2020 and redshirted. He just didn't see the field because it wasn't that good. Um, so that this mythos surrounding Malachi Corley, I think. Well, I was – Another name here, and this this might just generally speaking go to the later topic is Miles Price. You know, he's not. I think he's technically like shows as a sophomore, which is so yeah. confusing. Yeah. But I think he's at least a third year. Like he will be playing his fourth year at Texas That's Tech. True. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the topic I want to talk about. So 
I feel like I have the next, the next, one of the next awesome ideas for home field, ready to go, ready to market to them and market to the people. Like they don't need my help, obviously, like because they've come, they come up with so many amazing ideas. Like I need that Hawaii coffee mug that they just that, did you, see, did you get that email. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks dope. But I think that it's a, it's a slight pivot for them. Uh, in the sense that they generally like everything they're doing is like at the school level. Right. But I think what they need to do is they need to sign, maybe they need to adapt their agreement or whatever, do something. They need to do it at the conference level and they need to start uh, creating actually awesome merchandise for the Mac, like do Mac type stuff. I think all that stuff is cool. So, so I have, I, like I've looked into this from a couple different angles. Um, like I follow Hustle Built on Twitter and like they, they don't put out that much actually good co- content, but every now and then there's like an interesting article, but they can't make like actual like a uh, match and stuff. Cause the Mac like uh, sent them like cease and desist. And like so when they try to, and they're like, stop doing this or we're going to sue you. We're the Mac. Like stop, stop, get get our, get our name out of your mouth uh, kind of deal. Uh, but then, so I was, I, I was really feeling the Mac the other day uh, for whatever, for whatever reason. And I went on, their, their website. And I challenge anyone to actually do this as well. Cause it's a horrifying experience, like navigate to the actual mid American conferences website. I, and the way I did is I went to Google and then I don't even remember if they were like the top search. I, I feel like their SEO wasn't that good. So I had to like figure out which one was actually the actual one and the, the actual Mac website. It's not that it's not that bad on the, the homepage. Like, so they actually paid some, some nerd a little bit of money to make the homepage look professional. But then you need to, what you really need to do and you need to see how far you could take this before you get sketched out is you need to navigate to the, the shop section of the Mac website. And I think you need to like, it's like a drop down, you click shop. And then what, where that goes, dude, this website looks like some straight up GeoCities thing. And I personally couldn't go any steps further because I felt like I was about to get rugged out of all of my money. Like my bank account was about to be taken from from me so like it, the website looks like it hasn't been updated since or, like early 2000s so i i i don't know what mac merchandise actually looks like because i, I was too afraid to pursue to go any further but i'm confident that like if maybe you time it around the advent of maction for a calendar year right the the home field uh release like you're not going to get this the sort of site traffic the type of revenue now that you would to in early November, if you release some action merchandise, but the opportunity is there. Everyone's foaming at the mouth for that by the time early November rolls around. Oh yeah. Big time. And the first thing I thought, well, the timing for sure is it has to be uh, like October. Cause usually it doesn't, isn't it November that Maction kicks off? So like yeah, October yeah, yeah. When, or like the first week of Maction would be like peak, you know, they're doing oh, yeah. all that script stuff right now. Cause it's all baseball related. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first thing I thought of when you said conferences was like, how cool would like a big eight conference sure be like from back in like the SMU days and the eighties and stuff. Like there has to be some, anything retro, like I'm down to like check out, like, it doesn't matter if it's a conference or a team or anything, but I mean, the Mac specifically is very much under, uh, underappreciated and not a lot of, uh, gear out there generally speaking for it. So I'm with you. By the way, I look to confirm and just to make sure Mike doesn't yell at me over this. Miles Price is actually a third-year guy, unless he did some red shirt where he didn't play and it doesn't log. But I was wrong on Miles Price. But um, any any you know, any other surprise topics or anything you want to add on top of no, this? No, no. Let's let's start talking about our uh, our upcoming draft. 
All right, let's do it. So Saturday night, we're doing a uh, doing the Burning the Red Shirt Dynasty Startup Draft. I haven't done one of these in a while. Um, and it's going to be 16 teams. What we ended up doing was having everybody in the Discord that wanted to play. Uh, we got to 16. I think the whole we had the idea of combining the Burning the Red Shirt group as one team. So that's what we're doing. And then, you know, if we needed the extra people, we could make it happen. But we have 16 teams. We had everybody vote on the different rulings. Uh, how many players are in it? 45, like positional starters and stuff like that. Uh, do you remember? I guess this is one of the first things I think we all talked about, or maybe the Chase and the Natty guys talked about like months ago was like knowing your league rules. So maybe that's the first thing we should see. Do we do either of us know the league rules? So there's, I think there's a couple of things we need to talk about from the outset of this one. So I anticipate the when Zach is going to spin this up into an actual consumable format that he's going to drop this after Saturday night, uh, I think, I would hope, because I don't want all our strategy to be ruined for all the savages who are part of this league. Uh, but the uh, that we're doing the first 25 rounds, I think, Saturday night, right? And then the, first the next 20. First 20, okay. First 20 rounds Saturday night, and the next 25 will be done over slow draft. So uh, it, it would make sense from a strategic and competitive perspective that what we talk about here is largely – through the lens of what we want to accomplish in those first 20 rounds. So, so, um, so that we don't reveal our last 25 rounds uh, of strategy to the masses uh, in advance of them being able to actually action on it. Secondly, no. So every time one of those discord notifications comes up of someone talking about the league rules and stuff, I just swipe it out of the way and ignore it. So I was hoping to kind of lean on you a little bit in terms of understanding. So I, I gather that there were 16 teams and that's dynasty. So I'm in a good place there. Um, but everything out of beyond that, I mean, I try, I tried the other day to get Zach to pivot it to a best ball scoring format. Nate always talks about that. And I'm in no leagues that actually do it where you it's in season managed and the scoring is best ball. Uh, it, I, I feel like I'm up against it to try and actually talk Zach into it, especially since I ignored all the conversations surrounding the actual league creation from its beginning. Uh, but I mean, it would have been cool, but uh, what, so what, what do we know? Let's, let's try and pin that down. What do we know about this league? Yeah. So, okay. So it's, it's, it's kind of incredibly deep. I don't know why we did this, but we did it. Here we go. <laughs> Two quarterbacks, three running backs, four receivers, God, this can't be it. Let me let me go to the actual fan tracks. I was in the actual draft room, and if that's it, man, there's going to be some random players starting. I know we have two quarterbacks. Let me pull this bad boy up. So one of the I what I did a, a dynasty startup last year in the spring. Heisey started one. Your boy, of course, has an incredible team. Uh, didn't quite take it down. Rebel not beat me in the, the finals, but, uh, so that's my most recent familiarity with a dynasty startup. I did one in, uh, spring of 2021. And if it, it, I mean, dynasty startups in CFB, I think are so interesting because how, like realistically, how many are you going to do in any season? There is not that much content on them to consume and everything that I think we talk about with respect to CFB and, playing uh, CFF is amplified in Dynasty, um, given that you, you're not just trying to focus on drafting 
for how a player is going to project for the season, but thinking about how he, especially when you start to think about younger players that might not see the field this year, there are even more more unknowns and more like you're increasing likelihood even further that something's going to go wrong. Um, so you have, I found you have so many misses in these drafts. And like, I was looking back at the one I did last spring where my team is amazing. And part of it's amazing. Part of the reason it's amazing is I, I've killed, I killed the waiver wire, but my draft hit rate, I feel like was, a, I think we did around maybe 30 rounds. I probably, my draft hit rate was probably only about 50, 55%. And what, in hindsight, I don't know how you could hope to do that much better than that unless you're just drafting straight seniors, um, right. which, I mean, it's not an awful strategy, right? I mean, just given the diff, the core difference of uh, dynasty in CFF relative to NFL being how what is available on the waiver wire and the cycles of the cyclical nature and environment in terms of what's on the way out and what's always coming back in. Uh, I think that leaning into a strategy that uh, is more driven to drafting older players is fine. It's viable. Like there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Well, you have the ability to add like waiver wires. You can, if you do well on the waiver wires or you can be very much fine. A lot of yeah. times that's young, that's old, that's everything in between if you're just on top of it. Um, and you can get lucky, right? Like I think you said seniors. I think it goes for anybody that's draft eligible, especially if they're a stud, right? And, you know, even if you have a studly season, doesn't mean you're going to go pro. Like a good example is Hendon Hooker. Like he yeah. wasn't being drafted like a stud. Obviously, he didn't even start the year, but he became a stud in fantasy and he still didn't go pro. So there's some like, nuances there too that you could get help with but unfortunately i was correct on this the starters uh okay. two quarterbacks three running backs four receivers two tight uh, ends how many tight ends two tight ends <laughs> that's great two flex and a defense so it's 14 total starters let's see i don't is it, believe... is it ppr it is points yeah it's ppr it's six points per passing touchdown of course zach's running the league so of course it is yep um what so, about is it there is there any tight end premium component other than the two tight ends i don't believe so i'm looking through i don't see anything special on tight ends so we have the eighth pick right we have the eighth pick in a 16 round or 16 player draft 16 would you be against bowers as our first pick I mean, that is a great option. I think yeah. it's, I don't know if, I mean, tight end premium is obviously very nice, but I don't like when you're that, when it's a dynasty and you're looking at two guaranteed so years. There, there's the two angles. Well, there's lots of angles to it, but can, I don't know if it makes sense to, to think about quarterback and tight end in terms of both. I, I don't know. I, I think about them through the kind of sit, in the same conversation in the sense that running backs and receivers, they're like your flex options and quarterbacks and tight ends. They're like, okay, we're not doing either of the things with quarterback and tight end that devalues them. Right. We don't, we don't have one quarterback and we don't have one tight end. We have two of each, which makes them both inherently a little more valuable. And then flex pools are kind of what they are in my opinion. It's like, all right, they're, they're flex pools. You know, there, there's so many good players in there that I don't think you need to adjust your understanding for them necessarily outside of the fact that it's PPR. 
but I think that with when you see two quarterbacks and two tight ends in an NCA all 130 league, uh, my the strategy I wanted I initially want to gravitate toward is uh, being willing to wait really a really long time on quarterback and potentially just go early on tight end given. Like I, I always feel confident in my ability to, to find uh, really good quarterbacks. And I've, I've, I've tried to make this argument to Zach, how we, I think we need to go to three quarterbacks in our, uh, in our uh, longstanding dynasty league that he runs just because, so, I mean, two, two quarterbacks times 16 teams, you've got only 32 quarterbacks starting at a given time. Um, yes. With our roster, with our roster sizes being what they are, people are going to roster many, many quarterbacks and it's going to be hard to find uh, actual startable quarterbacks on waivers, but I think that just given that there are only only 16 teams and 32 quarterbacks starting at a given time, shouldn't be that difficult to trade for quarterbacks uh, if you really want to, right? So using premium draft capital on them isn't something that I'm overly interested in, unless there's a guy I'm absolutely in love in it, in in love with, and then I break that tie at any point just to do what my heart tells me to. <laughs> Well, I think uh, one thing here is that six points per passing touchdown. So that that helps with the value of quarterbacks. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And I think there are a couple options that are interesting at the top end that make it very appealing, right? Like Caleb Williams is a proven commodity that should do great. And the, the, you know, look at any previous Lincoln Riley quarterback and he's a top five dynasty pick if he's a, I mean, like, even if you're right, he's a true sophomore. I mean, think about the guys. I mean, people were taking Rattler when he was a true freshman, knowing he was going to sit a year, and they were taking him fairly high. So I do think there's a couple options at the top that would be worth it to take in the first couple rounds. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think tight end is – two tight ends is going to be very difficult. Flex, you could, I feel like there's the ability to find any – there's so many options out there. Did you listen what makes, to – did you listen to Jared and JD talking about tight ends on uh, chasing Natty this week? I don't think I finished that one. I wasn't able now, to get to the so tight ends at the end. I'm I'm the idiot who took Meyer in the third round, and, and they like they, they did a good enough job talking. Like generally, I hear people talking say anything negative about what I think or what I did, and I'm, my immediate reaction is just, just go into defense mode and to think about why they're being idiotic and why I'm being smart about it. Uh, but they did such a good job of dissecting why like in that format one court one tight end uh format half ppr best ball like it doesn't make sense to take meyer in the third when you can get like Koontz in the fifth or sixth basically and i was like okay yeah that that makes total sense I, i'm an idiot uh but in in two in two in two tight end ppr like it's good yes just like every other position, there's always going to be uh, amazing uh, values and pop-ups on waivers, but it just feels like like how many good tight ends were there actually last year? Like uh, good to like very good tight ends. Uh, Not that, as many as we thought. Like going into the year, it felt like we had a bunch, right? Yeah. And now I think if I had to guess, something like six, eight. Yeah. I mean, that's that feels like the number. Ba- I mean, Bowers for two years – catching tons of passes for my dogs. It might be the way to get Andrew invested in this is by yeah. taking Bowers first. So let's think of it this way, right? I think we have the eighth pick. So it's a little bit of a, it's going to be an interesting selection, but theoretically speaking, there are 
five stud players that have two years of eligibility, assuming they don't sit out or anything, right? You already um, did the math. You you looked into this. Did you include I, Bowers in the math? I just did. Oh, okay. And this is the good thing about doing these types of things is I you pick up on guys you just didn't even think of. The the player pool is so convoluted with like players that are not going to be that you know they're in the NFL, so you get you miss them. So I consider these five as like what I would consider the top five picks, or at least the top four. And you just debate where you want to take Bowers, uh, Travion Henderson, Xavier Worthy, uh, Caleb Williams, Braylon Allen, and then Bowers are all five studs with two years of eligibility. So those have to be, I mean, those are all first or second rounders in best balls, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, the only one that's considered not necessarily a, a first rounder is like Caleb Williams at the very end, maybe, and same with like Bowers, but usually both of them are gone by 12. Dude, Nate pumped up Caleb so much that he he doesn't even fall out of the first round anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Caleb, I mean, Nate, that's the pure definition of pumping him up and with good reason. I yeah, mean, yeah, he just yeah. came he with good right. facts. Was, that's the problem. Yeah. I know it's it's annoying. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm down with it. All those sound good to me. I, like, I, it would be so much fun to own Caleb. I think we can make him an exception to the rule, or the, the rule I I like to be holding myself to in terms of kind of he's, waiting on quarterback. He's not going to make it, so I wouldn't be concerned. Honestly, yeah. I mean, yeah. the real debate becomes where do you take a younger guy versus. Like a great debate here would be like a Marvin Harrison, who everybody projects to be, you know, that receiver two, then the receiver one in two years, right? For Ohio State, which is amazing with their backload of stud quarterbacks, um, versus a guy like maybe Bijan or Deuce Vaughn. You know, like Lou Nichols has a couple years of eligibility left, but he's technically draft eligible. He's a running back, right? So you get into this draft eligible running back or receiver like a Jackson Smith and Jigba and you compare him to a guy with two years of eligibility, maybe a little less. Oh, do you have, you should add Marvin Harrison to our, uh, our list of two year studs, but he's, I, my list was more considering, uh, proven studs. Fine. <laughs> it's the same thing with Quinn Ewer, uh, Ewers. He's yeah, like the yeah, same yeah, boat. Okay, so okay. he could be considered that as well. I would imagine you would want to shy away from that. Ewers over Harrison or what? Yeah, it's tough. Both are both are gonna be so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I think both of them are definitely in consideration considering the format. Six point passing touchdown, and then yeah. just Harrison. I mean, his big recruit, cool, you know, cool family. I mean, how is it hard? It's hard not to go there. Someone was saying Archie Manning, uh, Arch Manning should go to Ohio State so we get another. Manning the Harrison connection one last time. But, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, so yeah, I mean, where do you where do you start looking at a, like the top old guys per se? The top what guys? Old, the top draft eligible seniors, the guys that are inevitably gone. I'm fine with it as soon as like if there is a if we don't feel really strong about uh, taking a young guy that we think is going to contribute to our team at, with multiple years, I'm fine immediately, like as early as we're, we want to instead uh, pivoting and defaulting to an older guy who probably just has one year left. Like, I'm fine with it. Do, but do what you, I want, what I generally want to avoid is just straight speculation picks uh, early on. Yeah. Uh, unless we have a really, really strong lean. Like I, like I took Travion in round two of the last the dynasty startup last year, but I was absolutely like 
as close to 100% confident as you could be that he was going to like take that role from the very, very beginning and just crush it. And it was going to be three years of just awesomeness. Uh, so that's the only time. Does the first pick depend, like determine the second pick for you? If you go, if we end up going, let's just say Jackson Smith and Jigba with 108, you get a stud receiver, the 101 pretty much and 101 or 102 and pretty much every best ball. Do you take another old guy saying, you know what? Like, this is a great start. Like, how do you not pass? How do you pass up on another senior stud or draft eligible stud? I, um, I mean, my sample size is so incon- like inconclusive when it comes to dynasty startups, right? I mean, I've done like three ever, I think. No, two ever. And the, again, the most recent one was last year. And like, I had a lot of success just kind of alternating between uh, like proven senior going to do it right now and feel really strong about it to something to maybe moving toward a guy that, yeah, I'm, I expect him to be uh, pr- very productive and I like him in uh, in the present year, but he's all like the reason I'm taking him is as much about him having multiple years uh, to it, to his, uh, co- his college career. So I was kind of alternating back and forth between those things. And I don't know, it, se- it seemed like it, it went well, um, but I don't, I don't think that these things need to be so correlated. Like, Similar to my general approach in basketball, I just I just want to I just want to get good players uh, and feel strong about the the I think of my team as kind of a, a portfolio more than anything else. And at the end of it, I want the, it to be full of players that I feel confident about. I don't think we need to like we need to build a house of cards uh, that just correlates throughout the entire deck kind of deal. Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of brought it up at the beginning, right? Like you yeah. have the opportunity to get young. You can always yeah. trade for young. Yeah. If you, if you find that your young guys that you did pick are misses, this is a long 45 rounds is insanely long. Right. So at a certain point, I do believe seniors that are good are going to drop. Like I think a guy in my head that just, I keep thinking about him as like an old guy that could drop is Mac Hippenhammer, like yeah. fifth, sixth, seventh rounder in best ball. He's not technically proven like fully proven, right? He's not like Justin Hall studness when he's healthy, but he should be great. But like, there's no juice behind that pick. I feel like he could slide a good. So, you know what, you know what the equivalent, you know what the equivalent of him is on the QB side. Who's that? AOC. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. In six, in six point uh, QB league, like an actual, there's no way you can find another year of eligibility for him. I think at this point, like this is, this is it. (laughs) Uh, and so, like, I could see a slide occurring there as well. Uh, like, he's going probably – he goes, like, seven to nine-ish in, in basketball, but, like, would it be that surprising if he's still chilling there in, like, round 13 or 14 or something? Not surprising like, at all. Yeah. You get some weird stuff happen. Guys will go young. I mean, like, Spencer Rattler going – he could – like, back in the day, right? He could – I think he maybe went like between the second and fourth round. You know, so, like – yeah, these guys go. These guys go earlier than you think if they're superstar yeah. type yeah. guys. So the other thing, this trips me up every single year, uh, and we should be cognizant of this. So I'm, in, I've been in uh, this the only true straight redraft league. I do, I do it every single year. Um, I found it on Twitter. Uh, there's a couple guys who are kind of in the CFB space on Twitter that are also in it at this point. They're not. They're not that active, uh, but uh, it's 
straight redraft, there's like a, a weird component to it where you pick a team. I'm like, I'm Georgia and you can keep, keep one player from that team at a given round, but outside of that straight redraft, but that league always drafts really late. I've been doing so much other stuff in the way of dynasty and best ball and stuff uh, throughout the, the, the winter, the spring, the summer, by the time this league rolls around, I always think like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Like I've, I, I've been doing so much for like six, seven months and invariably I forget like this, this league is 16 teams and players are not going in the round. I expect them to. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why did that guy go in round four? I've been getting him in round six or seven. And those extra four teams make a huge difference. And that's, what's going to happen here too. If, like we, we need to be a little bit cognizant of that. I think but like the, the extra amount of teams, like when we try to assign rounds to, to where we think guys are going to go, when we try and project strategy there, like it's, it, we're so in the weeds for, and are are geared toward what we think relative to 12 team leagues that I think we just need to kind of make sure we give consideration to that factor as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause we've only been doing 12 team right. leagues. Right. And here's another one that'll come into it. And I think you get, play a part or you see this in that same redraft league is we're drafting with guys that we've never drafted with before. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we yeah. Get, we're, you know, we're both very active with Greg's championship series and then, the CFF sites, uh, you know, four or five month series we do in the, the off season, which is fun to, to reminisce on too. Those that's comp, you know, com, combine those, you're looking at 20 total people, right? Like 20, you know, actual drafters. And we're looking at a 16 team league where, I mean, we probably draft with like three to five of them and yeah. they read our stuff, but, or listen to our stuff, but we don't know anything of theirs. So, It'll be interesting to see, and you know, that's the thing, right? Jared made an interesting point a couple of weeks back or a week or so back of like, this guy was picked here and this guy was picked here. Is that really a reach? If like that's where you think that that guy should go, like, how do you really define a reach? And I didn't get come to the conclusion, but I don't know if we have enough data to get to that point. But to be able to say definitively one way or the other, I think that's yeah, what we're I, doing I, now. I don't think it really matters. Just get it'll the guy be interesting. Going. Banana is disgusting. <laughs> a banana on a podcast is a is a bull. I was going thing. to, but dude, this thing's <laughs> gross. Like I, I can't touch that. What? Uh, I'll start with this and give you a second to think about it. But like the hooker situation I talked about earlier, think of one player that you think is has technically two years eligibility or is not is technically draft eligible and has extra years. And I want you to see if you come up with somebody good. The one person I'm thinking of is that would not go pro, right, would actually give us a, a stolen year, would be, I'm thinking like a Will Rogers type, you know, so, total system type guy. Is it, is it cheating? Oh, sorry, you, you continue your thought. I mean, look, a Will Rogers or a Grayson yeah. McCall are both eligible, and I think they're both kind of system guys. Like, Grayson McCall throws it, like, 24 times a game. I love him, right? Yeah. But he's just super efficient. You know, you see some people on him, but – I could see both guys giving us a sneaky extra year, but also be taken a little bit deeper into the draft than you would think, just because technically speaking, they are draft eligible. McCall made it sound like he only wants to spend one more year in college from when, uh, when they were, when he was figuring out what he wanted to do uh, coming out of last year, but obviously all that stuff's subject to change. Maybe like any number of factors could play out, right? Maybe he doesn't come back fully healthy this year, season tanks, ends up transferring somewhere else like there were rumors of happening last year maybe maybe for maybe he has a good good not amazing year 
uh, kind of gets a feel for the lay of the land in the NFL and uh, doesn't do the sincere McCormick thing where you just declare and then can't can't get drafted anywhere and comes back for another year and enjoys that college life for another year because why not? It's probably pretty sweet, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I think, well, Rogers sucks, but the numbers obviously say otherwise. Uh, uh, it's system, man. That's all that's, you know, it's just like yeah. the Tyler Shuck conversation, right? Like it's, yeah. are they actually good? Like, does it matter? Like, you know, I don't, do I think he's an NFL quarterback? No, but like, I would have said the same probably for Zappy and look at him. Is it cheating in terms of answering your question to say Rasheen Ali? That's, I wouldn't consider that cheating if he's draft eligible. Because he, I mean, his numbers were just so insane last year. He's draft eligible after this year. Like, he was a redshirt freshman last year. Uh, so he could come out, right? But, like, you bring up that topic on Twitter, or I've brought it up, I, th- I think, or been in conversations multiple times. And the the immediate feedback you get is the idea that he's just going to exist, exhaust all of his years of college eligibility, which to me sounds like a ridiculous outcome. Like you, I feel like you never actually see that. You never see a top Tyler Hansborough at the running back uh, position rarely for a guy that is that, that has that kind of numbers. Like McCormick was the example of this exact same thing, right? Uh, where like no one, I don't think anyone really expected this dude to uh, be an early round draft pick and he probably could have read the tea leaves if he really wanted to but he was just like dude i just took 300 carries three straight years i'm out of here uh yeah. so i mean i think that's the scare with any running back like a yeah. deuce vaughn or lou nichols like if if they just don't want to get the pounding right just just get paid for it you know the nil stuff will be interesting because i think you'll get some players stay because of it but there's just a lot of moving pieces there. We have to give Zach a shout out. He he has chatted in and said Garrett Schrader from Syracuse, which I believe is a phenomenal one. I mean, Garrett Schrader's not doing anything in, a, in the NFL. We can agree on that, right? I'm, I, mean, he- I, I, have, I expect expected there to be more ambiguity surrounding his role presently at this point in the offseason. I mean, he's, he's looking very much like he's – going to roll into the season as the starting quarterback, but I, I would be surprised if next year he continues to start uh, for Syracuse. So you think I, he would be more likely to come back and just not play, like not be the starter anymore? Won't they just find someone better? I don't know. It's Syracuse, right? Like, I yeah. don't know. Is he more likely to be the quarterback next year for Syracuse or the West Virginia mascot? Eileen West Virginia mascot. I mean, it looks, which it just looks so ridiculous with the the, the chin strap. <laughs> um. Anyways, so I don't know any other. We've gone about thirty five minutes. I don't think we wanted to go crazy long. But any other thoughts on the draft? Well, we there's there's, any- there's pockets of there's pockets of the draft where I think you want to start thinking about different things. So, like that late teens, early twenties area is when I think you want to start thinking about the, okay, we know pretty definitively these are the next guys up and they get talked about for various reasons as being the next guy up. Uh, Maybe we're just thinking about it through the lens of the system they're in, the recruitment pedigree they had or the, or both. Right. But in dynasty, like I, 
I think that it's a fun way to think about it. It's nice and it's strategic to have those those guys, those next guys up already kind of present and accounted for on your roster. Uh, like last year, so when I did this dynasty startup, I targeted Charbonnet and Gerald Brock. Uh, Brock is kind of looking like at the idea. It's already trending like kind of poorly, right? With that, uh, his starting question. Yeah, who who says how? Who's to say how it actually plays out? But uh, th- those were like two prime examples of guys I wanted. Uh, and Charbonnet even like he took that job more or less last year, so it already started paying dividends. Um, but I don't know that I would love to kind of proactively think about uh, some guys to try and get there in those positions. Cause once you get to that point, I feel like around 16, 17, 18, 19, the things are starting to dry up a little bit in terms of present value. And at that point, you're also, you're the elite elite recruits, incoming recruits are probably off the table. The present production guys are um, both in the context of guys which is one year and multiple years are also largely going to be off the table, right? Again, this, my draft last year was 12 teams. This is 16. So make it even cra- – like the, the player pool is going to be even more dried up. So maybe we need to think about it even a few rounds earlier. But at, that's the point that, where I, I found it really a really good idea to try and target kind of the next – generations on the, not the right word the next flight of guys the guys are going to be impactful next year we can kind of project it um so i mean my boy kyle mccord comes to mind but we maybe we can even wait on him a little bit uh because some some dude's gonna take devin brown earlier yeah uh, because he's cool right but i don't know do you have anyone uh that comes to your mind that kind of fits that uh that that uh that cookie cutter I, uh cut out well i think zach likes I think you like it, right? Dan, uh, Donovan Green from Wake, like kind of like a. He's gonna be great this year. He's he gonna be good count. this he's year, but he's not like you know. At Perry is like a top eight pick. Like that's a crazy level. But just the general idea. Dude, right? I want. I want to know. I want to know who ran that TUC poll of uh, Green or Perry for this year. That 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 whoever posted that poll is my kindred spirit. Did you see that? The fact that it was even a conversation is is why it needs to be answered, but. With a six, think about it this way: it was sixteen teams, one hundred sixty players for ten rounds. That's like the thirteenth, fourteenth round, right? Of like a, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. so when you're looking at like round twenty, who are out, you know outside the top three hundred players, you're looking at like total random guys, right? Like, so I can totally get behind the idea of snagging that that potential replacement um, over just taking another random receiver two from Notre Dame or something, right? Like I know I understand this is a crazy deep draft, but like I'd rather utilize waivers or something at the very end of or maybe like the end of the draft to take a like a second receiver from a random school. This yeah. feels like it's gonna have a, a 50 teamer component to it where it's like who who nails the New Mexico State receiver to like utilize on the flex because it just feels like it's gonna be deep. Um I don't think off the top of my head uh you know a guy pops but i did want to talk a little bit about the idea of these uh like a, the transfer running backs that have multiple years of eligibility which is specifically like the Corey kiner and the kamar wheaton where it's they go to a good spot former studs and it's like okay multiple years of eligibility so in theory that's a great player to have would you be interested in either of them? Not specifically towards a specific round, but just generally speaking. 
So I made a note uh, in my Google Keep two, like two or three days ago, and I just listed like four players that right now I'm calling the projection RBs that I don't have any shares of in best ball. And it's for multiple reasons, like one of them being I'm strong-headed and they weren't my idea, so I don't want to just steal someone else's idea. Uh, and also, I, I like – you can draw up the picture of how they work, how it's going to work for them, and you can connect those dots very easily. But for those guys, I think that there's equally – maybe not equally strong, but there are strong arguments that it's easy to ignore because they're not fun on why they fail as well. And the, I have those four as Nathaniel Peep, Kiner, Wheaton, and Cardwell. Cardwell's not a transfer, obviously, but I think he fits the kind of same mold in the sense that there's just a ton of projection there in terms of uh, connecting all these different factors, all these different variables that we need. We haven't seen them so much, and we need to, we're assuming that they will fall in place for this to work. So, I mean, I, in best ball, I've avoided all of them uh, because I, Generally, I just feel more confident about other players going in those rounds that uh, – and I'll just take the guys that I'm confident in. Like, those are premium picks, right? It's all rounds four through seven. So there's there's other guys that I've fallen in love with, and I'll just I'll just keep taking those guys in place of them. Here, though, I mean, there's, a good, there's good arguments for all of them. Uh, and if you and Zach feel really strong about any of them, like, I, I, it's not like I have a definitive reason for why they are de- – most certainly going to fail, uh, but they're not, none of them are really my favorites. Yeah, I would say Pete is on that list, and I would. I that's just not a, a guy I would want in this type of format. That's like a high, it's a high pick potentially for a, a guy that, like you know, you look at all the potential battles, and he doesn't seem he seems like closest to fifty fifty. Like, and I know for some reason Elijah Young has gone super cool, and maybe I missed something, but. Like I feel like there's enough of a chance that he wins the gig that it's like that it fits exactly what you're saying. I don't want to pay a premium on a on a situation like Elijah Young is technically a third year guy, but that feels like a great twentieth round pick where it's like I'm yeah. taking a semi flyer. He's got three years of eligibility because of COVID, um, so I think that's interesting. Now talking a little bit of running backs, I think this might be the answer here. But who is the first true freshman off the board? Do you think? It's Singleton, right? Do you, when do you think he goes? I think probably early round two. Yeah. I mean, he's probably the closest to immediate production, and he's a stud recruit, right? I was trying to talk myself into the idea that he's just going to trade on it this year, but you have to, like, really you have to you have to make yourself forget a lot of the flaws associated with the Penn, Penn State running game. And just that Penn State offense, I think, to to get to that point. And just, it, I mean, Travion worked because it's the Ohio State offense. He's incredible. And his competition was uh, Master Teague, like, coming off an ACL or a torn Achilles or something, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, it. I think that a lot of, at least in redraft and best ball, people are trying to co- draw a corollary there. They're going at basically Singleton and best ball is going. And like I belt, I, I was into it for a little bit. I started taking a little bit of Singleton, but I haven't done it. I haven't taken him in a while. They're going there. He's going at the same spot where uh, Trey Beyond was going last year in best ball. But like 
I don't know how you can kind of think, hope it, think, hope and pray that you're going to see the same results. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, and maybe it's just I'm skewed because I saw the season that Travion had. It did not like that. Felt way more of a sure thing than what Singleton feels like. And you just said it though; they're both in like that same spot. I think people are skewed by that successful year. Yeah. Um, I think just other freshman thoughts. I think Luther Burden. Like I know the guys love him. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. You would hope that QB play helps or gets it better, but he's going to be a starter for three years at receiver. Like that is a sure fire starter. No, he's not necessarily going to have a great quarterback, but like if he had that, uh, what was it? Tavion Cunningham type year at Arizona where it's like 70, 701. Like that's not an awful true freshman year by any means. So, Barry Hill, not Cunningham. Oh, yeah, Stanley Hill, <laughs> Other random Arizona receiver. When, are, but, when do you think he goes? I would say one of those two are the first two. And they'd go, yeah. fair, I think we'll see a run, right? Like once someone takes the true freshman, there's a higher likelihood that the next one goes like that. I think that the dud pick there is going to be like your uh, the Ohio State guy, Devin Brown. There's just such a shot that he sits for two years. I just it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense there. Yeah. This doesn't feel like the the sexiest of freshman classes, though. No, I, I totally agree. I, like I listening to the the mock that uh C2C guys did on Brandon's show where Klubnik went in the third round and everyone like now, now we've got pitchforks out and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. It, like, I, I don't get like this is get the vibes that this is going to be just a trans transformational uh class from the way that everyone seems to be talking about it and just the things that you're hearing, uh, with respect to a lot of the, a lot of the guys in the class. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be any sort of freshman expert, but yeah, I agree. That's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the, the stud quarterbacks, right? Klubnik and Aller and Brown. I don't feel like, I think Brown is probably the, the most fun one, right? But he's got the worst shot at competing early. And then, you know, the running backs, right? There's no Travion. The receivers seem pretty good. I like that Matthew Golden guy from Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The receivers definitely seem fun. Seems near perfect situation, right? Because... You have Houston's fun. They throw it like crazy and they score and go yeah. fast. And immediate, they can play. And Dell should be gone. So then all of a sudden, right, you have this great situation to run into. But I think a guy that's super interesting and you're just punting his first year probably is just that uh, Jaden Blue from Texas. Like maybe it's just Bijan skewing my mind on how good Texas running backs can be. But people have been pumping him up. And you might get him a little bit later because it's a def- pretty much a definitive he's sitting for a year so you know there's an ugga running back in this class right this brainson robinson right the yeah 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 yeah. Jared's he, maybe, maybe he's our first round pick where would you i mean what do you think about georgia's running back room are they ever going to go back to like where are they ever going to go back to anything more than like a zamir white 14 fantasy points a game type running back so I forget which show Jared was doing, but he I think he covered it right where he said, like the last time we saw a real producer at UGA at RB was Swift, and none of the guys since then have been anywhere near Swift's caliber. Like we all, I think we a lot of us had our qualms with Swift from a durability perspective, but the skills were undeniable. 
And everybody who's come along since then, it's just not been the same class. So there, it makes total sense to kind of share the load a little more. It is weird though, right? Like they all, I mean, all these guys, they consistently were getting five-star running backs. Yeah. What happened? Are they just get on campus and they're just not the same? Well, Zeus has the excuse of ripping his knee to shreds multiple times, right? Like One they, of them on like punt defense, right? Was it? <laughs> What, oh, I, one of, one time. And then he still goes as like a top 100 NFL pick. Insane. He's a legend. That He's surprised me. Champion. That surprised me, but. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, any final thoughts or any other topics regarding this? I think we, honestly, we, I think we did a good bit where. I we think we, we come back sauce, and do, but. like, we, we do this again for the second half of the draft. There's a lot of things I want to talk about. So that's where stuff will get really fun and interesting. I think the back 25 rounds, uh, there's – because once we get past the guys that are kind of like the the super clear, everyone knows next guy up, next guy's up when it comes to talent and system type deal, then you're just going to see people firing darts over place. And I feel like that's our and my time to shine. Like, I have some guys that I really love that – I don't really feel any need to take them very early on because I think that they're they're going to be there and it's going to be time for us to 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 uh, to make some great picks and get some great value. Yeah, that'll be fun. I think the cool thing about this is it creates some like easy fun content. We're going to hopefully have recorded. This is probably going to be released on Sunday, so hopefully the night before, right Saturday night during the draft. The idea is that we don't know the schematics behind it, but we're going to try to actually record ourselves like thinking through like in the war room like i feel like i'm dan campbell with brad holmes just videoing you know just getting jacked up over uh offensive linemen but that could be fun and then a post draft or you know a post 20 round pre 45 round type thing is going to be fun too so easy content but glad that we can do this and uh hope everybody enjoyed have a good one guys later